cliffcentral.com. Okay, it's time for Anthea to get us back in the swing of things in terms of where our money's headed and whether or not we have any left. And wow, Anthea, uh, the worst value of the rand in history. Am I right? Good morning, Gareth. Yes, absolutely horrendous. And we started the week okay, you know, post downgrade. We, sure, we went to 18 and we came back below 18. We're now above 19. So some shocking news there. I, I must admit, the week, it, like on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it was actually okay. You know, I thought we've been talking about this downgrade being priced in. Um, we hardly had any fallout from the downgrade. And I thought, oh, that's fantastic. You know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the foreigners had only sold 4.1 billion rands worth of bonds, which sounds a lot. But we had a little game at work where we had to guess what we thought the fallout was going to be. My guess is that they would sell 96 billion rands worth of bonds. So 4.1 billion in the first three days post-downgrade is not bad at all. And in fact, on Thursday morning, the 10-year government bond yield fell below 10%. And I thought, oh, this is all going to be okay, actually. And I think there are two things there. First of all, even though we got downgraded last Friday, Friday before last, sorry, um, you, you know this whole downgrade and selling on bonds is because we fall out of the WIGB, which is the World Government Bond Index. Mm-hmm. And so now anybody who is measured or benchmarked against this index has to sell South African bonds. So that, that's kind of what we were guessing, the number we were trying to guess, how much would foreigners have to sell. The, the, the thing with that is that actually the WIGB only gets rebalanced at the end of this month, end of April. And so maybe foreigners are not selling as quickly as they need to. And then secondly, the Reserve Bank has put in this quantitative easing or bond buying program. So maybe that is helping to stabilize the market. But this RAND blowout, whew. Uh, It could also be in something that came up on the burning platform the other day, that even though we are sub-investment grade, according to these ratings agencies, we still have interest rates that are much better than the interest rates in much of the developed world. And that, therefore, even if you're one of those low-risk people who wants just a 6 or 7% return, you can get that here, as opposed to in an American bank, you know? Sure. So, so there's definitely a search for yield, no doubt. So people will be buying South African bonds. And this is why I thought it wouldn't be, you know, like a I, – I think the total number of – South African bonds in the WIGB is over 300 billion, and which is why I thought that only sell, we'll only see net selling of 96 because potentially other hedge funds or investors who are looking for yield would come to South Africa. Mm-hmm. But I think there's just generally a risk off sentiment globally. So investors just don't want to be anywhere where there's risk. And emerging markets are definitely risky. And if you look at the purchasing power parity, the way the RAND blows out, you know, you actually, if you bought when the RAND was um, around, let's say, 17 or whatever, and then the RAND blows out, it, it's not the same. You, you kind of, you're not getting that value. So let's say you're getting 10% on your bond yield, and the RAND falls by 10%. When you repatriate your money into dollars, you're actually not going to get that yield. Tell me, <clears throat> the the banks in South Africa seem to have a lot of liquidity at the moment. They weren't lending huge amounts of money or investing in massive projects for the last little while. 
and they seem to have a lot of cash in hand. Is that a good position to be in, not just from a bank point of view, but even for the individual? Is that maybe the best possible position where you've actually got your money in cash? Um, yeah, so definitely. I, I mean, any company that has a, that has cash on their balance sheet, has a strong balance sheet, that is always a good sign. You, you know, when things turn around, you want to be able to deploy the cash into projects that will work. So if you've been sitting on cash, it's kind of, it's like gold, right? It's like a safe haven, if you like, safe haven asset. Um, it hasn't really played out that well previously. So when we've had quantitative easing in Europe and the US, for example, and even in Asia, mm-hmm. banks have sat on cash and not deployed it to companies and to individuals in the market. And so actually that hasn't really helped the economy. So that hasn't been a great situation. You know, we really like for the banks to not just sit on their cash, even though it looks good on their balance sheet, we would like them to deploy it and to actually help the economy kind of boost it up a little bit. And in fact, it, it was interesting to see because we closed out the first quarter of the year in the equities market, well, generally, but in the equities market, the all share was down 22%. Financials were the hardest hit. And you would think that if they had cash on their balance sheets and they were so strong that investors would be buying these banks, but actually the financial sector fell 40% in the first quarter. And, and so that's compared to resources, which was down 26. Gold was up, gold index. Now, this, these are the, the indices, not the actual un- underlying companies. Well, they're made up of the underlying companies. Mm-hmm. Gold was up, the gold index was up 4%. Um, and then, yeah, and then companies like NASPAS, believe it or not, up 17% for the first quarter. Um, and Tencent was up, I think, 31% wow. for the quarter. Oh, my so, God. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, so you're really seeing this divergence between the brick and mortar and the tech stocks. And in fact, you'll see it in the U.S. as well, where the fangs have done exceptionally well. Um, well, exceptionally well relative to the rest of the market, which has just fallen in a heap. Now, you don't want to be in a property company right now, do you? Wow. <laughs> no. I mean, for, for a number of reasons, right? Um, so many property companies are now saying that they're not going to pay out their dividend because retailers have stepped up and said, well, actually, we can't afford to pay our rent. So they're now not paying rent to the landlords, which are the listed property companies. Um, and then a couple of other things. We know we had maybe Rock Castle who was selling um, – some property they had in Romania, and that deal's fallen through, and that was a 5.7 billion rand deal. Um, can, I just and, say, and was, can I just say that their name is so stupid that they probably should have never been in existence anyway? Nepi what? <laughs> Rock Castle. What a stupid <laughs> name. So Nepi stands for... I don't know. It uh, just sounds dumb. <laughs> European. It's just really dumb. <laughs> You don't like that, okay. So they play in South Africa and in Eastern Europe. (laughs) And and they were going to get bought by a company called Africa Israel Properties. I'm not sure that's neat. (laughs) You know, so so for a company that has a market cap of 44 billion rand to not have a deal of 5.7 billion rand go through is pretty big. It's over 10% of their market value. Hmm. Um, And and so many companies like Fukile, Hyprop, they're all saying, nope, sorry, we're, you know, we're making, some of us are still making money. And hey, it's not if you wanted to open up a shop in just about any mall in South Africa now, you could go to these property companies and say, hey, I'll do it for 10 grand a month. And they might even say yes. 
I would say absolutely. That's very clever thinking. Um, oh. There, you're, if, as a as a retailer, I think you're probably in good stead to be negotiating right now. But because you're seeing, well, first of all, Edcon has is going yeah. to disappear, right? Oh, so yes. there's that space that becomes available, and then who knows what else is going to become available? Some companies, retail companies are going to have to take smaller space, maybe not disappear completely, but take smaller space. The property companies need somebody to pick that up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Go, go negotiate. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> okay, so let's just uh, – let's look at who might do well out of this. Um, are, are, are the residential and commercial properties the same thing? No, but definitely not. Um, but I can't imagine – that individuals are going to be looking to buy property right now. I think no matter who you are right now, you're, you're saving money. You're trying yeah. to save money because you don't know how long you're going to be sat here. <laughs> I, I'm guessing that lots of people are actually saving money, not going to restaurants, not eating takeaways. But, yeah. you know, it's so negligible. You're not going to buy a house based on how much you've, sold, you, you've saved in takeaways, spending on takeaways. And don't crush my dreams. I thought I was going to put a down payment in an estate somewhere. But, and but then, my biggest concern at the moment, yeah. my biggest concern at the moment is how we come out of this on the unemployment rate. Because as companies fold and as the incomes disappear, and I'm using, I keep using EdCon as an example only because it's the most obvious one and they've already said they're paying salaries for this month, but heaven knows what's No, it's dramatic. Month. It's really dramatic. It's not a bad one to use as an example. But as that happens, yes. I, I'm not sure that people have enough money to start buying homes again. Um, and so, no, I can't see that the residential market will be any more resilient. Also, South Africa depends quite a bit on foreigners. And I, I, even the foreigners, even though the rand is completely blown out, and so for a foreigner to pick up property here is a lot cheaper than it was at the beginning of the year, 24%, I believe, cheaper. Um and that's just on the rand exchange. That's not on the property value. Mm. I, I can't imagine foreigners, they'll be worried about keeping their jobs back home as well. You know. So. Okay, so the big question is, if you've been one of those people who's been really good and you've saved and you've invested over the last 10 years and you've put your money into what you thought were reasonably safe investments, are you in a better position than someone who has just accumulated huge amounts of debt? Because what I'm getting at is that the banks – don't want to repossess your car or your house. That is a loss for them, and it's, it means they're not doing their job properly. And frankly, no bank in the world wants to own a bunch of secondhand cars and a bunch of deteriorating residential properties. They're going to have to come to terms with all of the people who are going to find themselves in a position where they can't pay the bank back, and those people will probably get very favorable terms from the bank. And, and, and the ones who saved and who paid off their properties – going to be sitting there going, why did I bother with that? <laughs> yes, indeed. So I don't think that the bank is suddenly going to turn around and go, oh, guess what? You've got, I don't know, a million rand left to pay on your property. We're just going to write it down. No, oh, no, no. no, no. That, no that'll mistake. never happen. They'll make you pay, but it might be 500 rand a month because that's maybe all you can afford. Well, so, so what they're going to do definitely is, or what they've done, is given you repayment holidays. They're still, by the way, calculating the interest every month. Yeah. So if you can afford to repay any debt you have, even if the bank is offering you a repayment holiday 
just pay it, okay? Because that interest, and we've taught compound interest a thousand times on the show, mm-hmm. it, it, it's just not worth racking up more and more and more debt. So you want to be paying down your debt no matter what. But if you can't, I think you're right. The, the, the banks are going to be a little bit lenient, but they're not going to lose out. So if this means that their cash flow is going to, to slow down for six months to, I don't know, a year, let's call it, then, you know, they're okay with it because they're sitting on cash and they just won't deploy any more cash like they normally would. You know, they would get your repayment and deploy it to somebody else. And, in fact, banks make money from lending. And so they have to lend. At some stage, they're going to have to go back. And and people, you know, if people are wanting to buy homes, go, okay, well, if you're okay and you're, you're a, a good um, borrower, then sure, I'll lend you some money because – that's how I make my money as a bank. I lend you money, you pay me interest and the repayments. So there will definitely be a cash flow or, or cash crunch, I, I should say, um, in the next year or so. One last yeah. thing I want to find out about. What do you think of oil and what's going on with oil at the moment? <laughs> what a question, because I have no idea. I can't actually believe how this oil price is trading. You know, so... Last week on Wednesday, it was at a 17-year at low. Like, it's unbelievable. And then on Thursday, it dropped, jumped 20%. I see it's now above $30 a barrel. It is really all over the place. And I think there's a couple of things going on here. One is that, again, the kind of oligopolies are messing around and making announcements about well, how they're it's going chiefly, to or- It's chiefly Saudi Arabia and Russia arguing about this at the moment. Basically, yeah. And so Saudi that. Arabia is saying to Russia, uh, you think you can play with supply and demand. Well, we'll just produce it much cheaper than anyone else in the world, and we'll flood the market, and then you're screwed. Exactly. So the, so the minute Russia turns off the taps and they want the oil price to go back above 30 or above 50 as they would like, then – you know, Saudi counters it or vice versa. And then we've got COVID-19 and everyone's going, but there's no manufacturing, there's no production going on in in, in the world, so why would we buy oil? Um, so, yeah, that it, really the most volatile I've ever seen it in a week. Hmm. And, 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 you know, just on a macro level, the, the thing that does drive the oil price is exactly economic growth. And last week we had our PMI, which is the manufacturing number, contracting for the 14th consecutive month. And then the other big number that happened last week was in the U.S., where we saw 6.3 million people apply for unemployment. That was just in the week. And the week before, if you remember correctly, we spoke about this on Monday, we had over 3 million people applying for that the previous week. Um, Kind of historically, the highest number has been 675,000 people applying for what basically we call unemployment, right? The UIF to the UIF. Anthea, that's all we got time for this week. I know you want to squeeze in more bad news, but I'm afraid that's it. We're full. And we will return with the money shot on Monday next week. Cliffcentral.com.